Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and this week we're going to be talking about the 2021 horror film Malignant, directed by James Wan and starring Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, and George Young. In this film, a woman is haunted by visions of murders that are being committed in real life by a monstrous-looking villain. If you're new to this show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front, then we'll take a quick break and then dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Brian, you left me on a cliffhanger here. Did you end up going to the theater to see this, or did you end up signing up for HBO? I ended up signing up for HBO Max, finally. Nice. Um, I got this new TV, and it just felt kind of stupid not to like sign up and watch it in the comfort of my own home, especially since I haven't really enjoyed my theater experiences that much lately. So I wanted to test out this new TV, and it looked great. I'm, I'm happy I stayed home. Yeah, you got the whole like 4K experience at home? I got the whole 4K experience now. I've, I've joined the, uh, my generation, the younger yeah. generation. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not watching on a computer anymore. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, it makes such a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, so no more visits to the, uh, what is it, the Great Mall of America? I, maybe I'll go back. I mean, I'm definitely going to go see, like, a Halloween Kills. I don't want to watch that at home. I'm going to go sit in the theater for that one. Okay. Okay, cool, cool. But it was like uh, I hadn't even watched a horror movie on this new TV yet, so I, I had to. Yeah. Uh, cool. Great way to break it in. Yeah. Um, are you surprised at all that this was released both in theaters and on HBO? Like, I, I imagine, like, do you get the impression HBO pays a bunch of money to license these films, and that's why these uh, studios choose to release it on HBO as well? Um, I don't know how it all works, but I think anything distributed by Warner Brothers up through a certain date is going to be on HBO as well. Oh. I mean, I think they're just like hey, Warner Brothers, it's like, we're not going to get the box office we want, so we might as well get some money from HBO who's going to earn more, you know, get more subscribers, case in point me, to see right. some of these movies at home instead of going to the theater. Very interesting, because, uh, yeah, that that's a bold move, I think, because you, you know you're killing some of your box office returns if you're streaming it on one of these platforms, and you think, like, the cost-benefit of that probably weighs out in the favor of the studio then? Um. I don't know. Hopefully. I mean, they seem to think so, but maybe it's a gamble. I know. I know. I'd be a little nervous because, uh, I, yeah, I definitely think like your box office returns are, are pretty compromised if you're putting it online. It all depends on the elasticity of that demand and whether or not people <laughs> are going to really go to the theater just to see that movie, even if they're uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I'd and like listen, to think the average moviegoer, if they are uncomfortable going to a movie, aren't going to go for a specific movie. Sure. And people have upgraded their systems during this time. Like there's been crazy demand for home goods. I'm sure a Mm -hmm. lot of that has to do with upgrading their home's theater systems. So I think people are more likely to stay home now. I think so too. I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon uh, in terms of like, yeah, this change in behavior and people are like, like yourself, like investing in like building a home theater. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know like what would motivate me to go to a theater unless I knew I couldn't get it somewhere else. So right. it, it could be like a, a a lasting change. I think so, man, unfortunately. But um, who knows? I think as people get more comfortable and uh, safety is no longer a factor, 
more people will start going back, and I think there'll be certain movies that you just want to see in a theater. But mm. I think I'm starting to think it's permanently, permanently damaged the uh, the theater industry. I think so too. And then I wonder if uh, box office return is going to be the long-lasting sign of success. Or if like a new metric comes about, which also like kind of uh, talks about, I guess viewership numbers is something that a lot of these uh, platforms do talk about. But I, I wonder if like box office, like the calculation of it changes, or they start to include some of those licensing fees that come from some of these uh, subscription platforms. Um, yeah, it's a good question. How is how is uh, movie reporting going to change based on this and you know yeah. maybe this change was inevitable anyway and this just sped it all along like right as the technology at home gets more advanced right it's it's hard to say people aren't gonna rather stay home i know i know i know what are you gonna do with those like 15 bucks you didn't spend on popcorn though now you gotta put that towards something else now i guess yeah i'll put that towards the tv <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> better return there you ever make popcorn at home Oh yeah, man! I make it on the stove. Yeah, do you do uh, interesting stuff with it? No, I just like olive oil, salt, and pepper. I guess olive oh, okay. oil instead of butter is the most interesting thing I do, but hey, that's pretty good, boring. Good for but you. I just like a classic <laughs> popcorn taste. Yeah, I got a secret for you. Uh, right. Marmite. You, you ever try marmite? What the hell is marmite? Uh, I think it's something that's big in like in the UK maybe or in Europe. Um, but you put it on popcorn, it, it tastes amazing. Uh, kind of an acquired taste, but uh, it's kind of really elevated our, our popcorn game here. With Marmite and Parmesan cheese, good, good way to go. All right, all right. I probably won't try that, but I'm glad you told me. <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah anytime. <laughs> all right, so yeah, uh, speaking about uh, box office returns, so this film had a budget of $40 million, and so far it's only in $30 million. Um, so I think this is actually James Wan's biggest budget horror film that he's done, if you look at his filmography, right? Oh, really? I didn't look at the budgets of like the Conjuring films and stuff. Yeah, I don't think any of them were as high as uh, forty million. Um, but yeah, then, that's like, Gremlins two money. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even <laughs> but, more than that. Yeah, yeah, and, and then the the box office obviously has been pretty dismal. Uh, but we're only well, I, I guess at this point now we're like three, two, three weeks out now, right? Yeah, and I mean the box office hasn't been good on anything lately. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And then, yeah, you've got it streaming somewhere, so that's uh, obviously going to have an impact. But it, yeah, it's, as it's, we were talking about the different reporting, I've got the the uh, info on that. It was streamed by 753,000 U.S. households in its first weekend. Wow. Is that a lot? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. This is all new. All new to all of us. I know. I know. It doesn't all seem like that many, but it's it's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not nothing. That's for sure. Um Actually, I mean, if every one of those was a movie ticket, that'd be like another seven million added to the box office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty significant. Uh, and it, actually, sorry, I, I think uh, The Conjuring Two actually had the same budget of forty million. Um, so, uh, but but a return of like three hundred twenty million. So if this is only at thirty million, um, but then if you, I don't know, how, yeah, how the viewership count figures into that. Yeah. But um, nobody I don't know, knows. It's, it's uncharted territory. Exactly, exactly. Are you excited to see James Wan returning to the horror field? I was, yeah. I was excited for it. Not as excited as some of the other movies this year that I was excited about, but certainly interested. Yeah. How about you? How did you feel about it? Yeah, you know, I I, I like this guy a lot. I mean, this wasn't on my radar at all, but, um, you know, I, I kind of 
I wasn't a big fan of his uh, Aquaman. Uh, I thought that was a, mi- a big misstep. Um, Furious 7, I didn't see. But it, it's interesting that he's finally come back to horror. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think like he's probably the biggest uh, director in horror these days. Is you think that's fair? Or do, you, do you think there's someone bigger than him? Boy, I mean... Bigger in terms of dollars? No, James Wan is the biggest. But, you know, the reputation of folks like Jordan Peele and Ari Aster and Robert Eggers is is looming large in the horror world these days. But, yeah, I mean, James Wan for the past 10 years has been making hits or producing hits. And, yeah, I think it's fair to say he's he's up there. Top five biggest names in horror. Yeah. Biggest I- dollar for sure. But uh, I'd dollar, say right? him and those other three in Flanagan are like the top five names. Yeah, the, the, uh, the those three that you mentioned, I feel like uh, each have like a film or two under them, right? So uh, yeah, decent returns. Flanagan, I feel like he, I don't know if he's done like such like boss, blockbuster films. This guy though, he goes all the way back to 2004 with the Saw franchise and he launched the Saw franchise. I think he launched like the Insidious, the Conjuring one. He's like built these whole worlds. He's got a production company that's like helped uh, continue to like launch horror films. So it, I just feel like, yeah, from a money standpoint, like this is as big as it gets maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's accurate. But I don't know, in this club, I feel like we've only seen maybe one or two movies that he's directed, like with The Conjuring, Conjuring 2. Um, any other movies that we've seen that he's done? Yeah, we've seen more, but we haven't reviewed any th- other films he's directed aside from The Conjuring 1 and 2. Yeah, right. And his footprint is so much bigger than just the films he's directed, right? Like Exactly. He did Insidious. I think he did Insidious 2, but I think there's three or four movies in that franchise. Conjuring Universe is now like, I don't know, eight or nine movies now. So yeah. His he looms larger than just his directorial filmography, for sure. Yeah, yeah. His his working like yeah. As his producer, I feel like he's bigger in the horror field. Yeah. Um, Maybe yeah, we'll so review Saw sometime soon, though. That's on my short list. I know, I know. I think that's when we got to go get back to, and uh, that's like OG James Wan, I guess. Yeah, and it's a request from Sea Dog, so it's it's on the request list. Okay. That cool. just seems to keep growing, and we were we were really hitting the request for a while, but it's hard to we hard off. to keep up. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard list to keep up with. Um, but you know, like speaking of his whole filmography it, as a director, I, I feel like his formula has always been pretty uh, mediocre budget. Um, you know, like the the first Saw film, it had to be like just a few million bucks or whatever. Sim- similar with like Conjuring and Insidious, and then like massive uh, returns. So I think this is the first time where he's had, uh, you know, like a, a, me- a medium budget of forty million, and not like getting that return right away or anything. So this has to be kind of viewed as a failure at this moment for him, right? I just think it's too hard to tell in these in this day and age, man. But I w- I yeah. will say I think even if this was normal times, this would not have a box office that would compete with that other stuff. It's just not as easily digestible. It's not as crowd pleasing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. E- even on the face, like on its premise alone. Sure, sure. Yeah. So this is this is a very, I guess, polarizing film, and uh, the reviews surprised me. You already have like seventy six percent on critics, and then fifty two percent on audience, so a lower audience score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of shocked me. Yeah, it's uh, there are just some confounding things about this film. There are. <laughs> it's very divisive. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's cool that, you know, he, he's doing that, but, you know, I, and I think a lot of people know, like, there's a huge twist in this movie, but if you even look back at films like Saw, Conjuring, Insidious to some degree, 
you know, I always feel like M. Night Shyamalan gets talked about as like the big twist guy in, in, in the horror films. I think James Wan has kind of also had like movies that banked on like twists that kick in in the third act, right? Hmm. What about, what else besides Saw in this one? Uh, so Saw, um, I know The Conjuring 2, uh, there was a twist at the end. Insidious, I feel like there's a twist in terms of, um, you know, uh, who like, uh, oh, I forget, but it was something to do with uh, one of the main characters in that it had like a uh, some kind of secret in there. I, it's been a long time since I've seen that one, but I assume those two had twists in them, didn't they? I don't think those twists are can come close to the jarring twists and the extreme twists in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm rejecting this theory. Okay. (laughs) Reject it. Yeah, and I'll give it to you. They're not as, like, mind-blowing as M. Night Shyamalan, but there is definitely an element that, like, I feel like he keeps in his back pocket that he brings out. Like, I feel like his movies are really weighted towards that third act, and this one seemed to kind of follow that pattern to some degree. Yeah, sure. Weighted towards the third act. I'll accept that argument. Okay, thanks, man. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Saw did have one hell of a twist, but yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I I can't wait to see that one again. Um, did did you see his wife stars and is one of the writers in this film? Yeah, she was that uh, flirty um, evidence lady. Right. Right. And yeah, she 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 wrote the film too. Ingrid. The screenplay was written by James Wan, Ingrid Bisu. That's his wife. And Akella Cooper. Right. Yeah. And I think she was also, I guess, in The Nun and Conjuring 2 as well. So uh, Yeah, she's... she was Sister Oana in The Nun. Okay. Which I don't yeah. remember who that was, but she was in it. Yeah. Yeah. So that might have been where her and Juan met, actually. I'm not totally sure, but... Oh, okay. The timeline seems to work out. Right. And then uh, Annabelle Wallace. Is that how you say her last name? I believe so. She was in Annabelle, I guess. Uh, oh yeah, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation. She was in The Mummy from 2017. Right. I think her some of her more notable roles are in The Tudors and Peaky Blinders. You ever watch any of those? I feel like maybe I've seen an episode of Peaky Blinders, but no, not really. How about you? Okay. Uh no, no. So so you didn't like recognize her coming into this? I did not recognize her at all, no. Okay. Um she's dated two of I think the worst Chris's out there, Chris Martin, and she's currently dating Chris Pine. <laughs> I, think, I think those are pretty bottom tier Chris's. What, what, what do you think? Um, you know, I don't know enough about Chris Pine, but yeah, I'll, I'll put Chris Martin at the bottom tier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I mean, you talked about how a lot of audiences might not be into this. So I, I guess the intent is this, this is supposed to be, is it a giallo film? Is that how you say it? Giallo. Giallo? Yeah, well, my voice kind of cracked. <laughs> giallo. <laughs> giallo. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've talked about a movie or two that fits into that category, right? I don't know that we've really ever discussed a giallo. The closest we've ever come is Suspiria by Dario Argento, and he's mm-hmm. done a lot of giallos. But I don't think we've ever really discussed one. Suspiria doesn't quite fit. But it doesn't, boy, okay. We should we should probably do one. Yeah, we should. And, and how would you describe it? It's, it's like based on like a paperback type of novel that's supposed to be kind of cheesy or something? Yeah, the term giallo is, it comes from these pulp fiction, uh, pulp paperback novels in Italy that all had yellow covers. Giallo means yellow in Italian. Oh, yeah. Um, So it's essentially movies that remind one of these 
cheap murder mysteries. So they're essentially murder mysteries. Um, one convention people mention when they talk about Jalo movies is a black glove killer. It's not uncommon to see hands come on to the screen and do the killing, but you don't know who those hands belong to. Mm-hmm. And they're just really stylized and gory, um, sometimes kind of sexy too. They are the predecessor to the American slasher film. Oh, interesting. And directors like Mario Bava and Dario Argento and maybe a little bit of Lucio Fulci uh, are are the big names in Jalo. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so, I'm, yeah, I've actually, I was on a kick recently where I probably watched two or three Mario Bava films. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself, you can really see some of Bava's camera work in what James Wan does. Wow. Even cool. before Malignant, like just some the way he uses the camera in the Conjuring movies and in Insidious is very similar to Bava's camera oh, style. Wow. Okay. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I feel like James Wan has a very signature uh, way of doing that. So it must have been influenced by those uh, filmmakers. Yeah, he did cite um, Bava and Argento and um, Brian De Palma in in his inspiration for this film. For this film. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And yeah. you've seen a Mario Bava movie. Do you remember when we watched um, Bloody Sunday? Or no, uh, not Bloody Sunday, Black Sabbath. Oh, Black Sabbath, yeah. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. That was that that's guy. not a Jalo, but that that's by Mario Bava, who's one of the big names in Jalo. Got it. I definitely see the slasher vibe in this film, which I think is new for James Wan. Do you I'm like do you feel like it kind of ascribes to the Jalo? Yeah, I can I can see at first, I couldn't quite see Jello because I, I read that headline going into this movie, so I already knew that. And then as I was watching, I was like, "This is Jello," like, but it kind of is. Like the whole, I think there's some like psychological stuff going on in Jello movies. Sometimes it is a murder mystery. Um, it's also very stylized. So yeah, I can see it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it aligns. Um, story was based off of a uh, urban legend about. Well, Edward. if you tell this, it's going to spoil the movie. Oh, okay. All right, I'll skip. I that, have then. that in my background info too, and then I grabbed it and and moved it down. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good call. Yeah, I was, I was, I was wondering about that. Um, all right, well, yeah. Do you have any other background that you want to get into, or you got an Ohio connection for us? I think I'll just hit the Ohio connection if you're ready. Let's do it. Cool. Our Ohio connection, as always, comes from our friend Alex, who owns and operates the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. So if you're in the area, go there, check out their patio, get some delicious food and drinks. And Alex connects every movie of our home state to Ohio, our home state of Ohio, for us. (laughs) And Alex says, Malignant is a horror film directed by James Wan about a woman who begins to have visions of people being murdered only to realize the events are happening in real life. It stars Annabelle Wallace in the main role with supporting performances by George Young, Michelle, I don't know how you say that, M-I-C-H-O-L-E, Michelle Brianna White, and Maddie Hassan as Sydney Lake. Hassan's most notable work came with recurring TV roles on Fox's 2012 drama The Finder and the ABC Family 2013 teen drama Twisted. Hassan has also had limited work in film with her first starring role in the 2013 sports drama Underdogs about a small-town high school football team that rises to play their crosstown rival, a perennial powerhouse, while standing up for an entire community. Underdogs is set and was principally shot in Canton, Ohio. 
Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I have, feel like you had to dig. Yeah. Who? Uh, which character is Maddie Hassan? Is that her sister? Oh, yes, it is. Sydney. Okay. Her sister. Sydney. Okay. Got it. Nice. Wow. Great, great connection. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. And thanks to everyone who's not Ohio for sitting through these for 170 <laughs> some episodes now. I know. <laughs> it's an exercise in patience. It's good. Hopefully some people find it interesting, even though they have nothing to do with Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, cool. Well, uh, do you want to get into the plot review, uh, talk about the spoilers, and then, uh, yeah, review the film? Let's do it. Okay, cool. Hey, before we do, though, I, you know, I've been hearing a weird noise in the wall. Do you mind if I quickly take a look, uh, and then we'll get get back to it? Sure, man. Yeah, let me know what that is. All right, cool. Thanks. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm, I'm back. Yeah, what was up with the walls, man? Oh, you know, I just I just heard this tapping. I, I was worried something was leaking, so I you know, I opened up the wall and I looked in, and uh, this woman fell out of the roof uh, into our kitchen. So she's just hanging out with us now for a little while. You ever you ever <laughs> have that happen? <laughs> sure, man. You, you can't really have anybody on, like, an upper floor of the house. It's just, it's all going to f- collapse. Yeah, yeah. And they, they really like to hide up in there, too. And then, yeah, they just pop up on you when you're not expecting them. As soon as they them. take a little spill up there, they're, they're coming through all the floors. That's how houses <laughs> exactly. work. Exactly. Suddenly, it's like dinner for three. <laughs> <laughs> Unexpected. All right. So, diving into the plot here. So, uh, this movie kicks off with a flashback to the 1990s, and we meet Dr. Weaver, who's this doctor in a lab, and she's explaining that they're doing this conducting, or they're, they're doing an experiment on a patient named Gabriel. We hear a commotion, and we see that people are getting killed and attacked by Gabriel, but we can't see Gabriel here. Dr. Weaver manages to get like a stun gun and uh, hit Gabriel and, and put him down for a minute, and then that allows the hospital workers to tie him down we see kind of a distorted version of Gabriel behind like a, a tarp and a voice that comes on the radio and says that it's going to kill them all. And it's revealed that Gabriel can now talk through uh, radios, I guess. Uh, what did you think of this opening sequence? I was pretty thrown off. I My notes are, what is happening here? This acting is horrible. Is this deliberately over the top and hammy? <laughs> you you already felt that way like five minutes into the movie yes yeah i did uh wow yeah how did you feel i i felt like they were going for like a little stranger things kind of vibe here like uh something going crazy wrong like in a experimental lab or something uh so it felt a little bit unoriginal to me and the dialogue was like yeah pretty predictable and cheesy um and then yeah you can't really see what uh what was killing these people or anything and yeah the acting was kind of bad so i i I guess you're right you can kind of already observe some of the cheapness and the quality right yeah especially the one guy doctor who he just his acting was horrible he he was like he's broadcasting his thoughts and his eyes were bulging but Uh (laughs) and this will be a theme throughout this review i don't know if that was intentionally horrible and hammy or or what i I don't know what to make of it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that question is going to be like the theme of this movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, I think that's everyone's take on this movie so far from what I've heard. Okay, okay, cool. Um, But we also get some lines here, like, it's time we cut out the cancer, which obviously plays into the uh, title here. And then I think when the credits kick in, um, we kind of see, like, an operation going on, which I don't know if you picked up on, like, anything that was happening here. Like, it's not entirely clear, but uh, were you able to, like, kind of get any hints of what was going to come based on the credits? Not totally. I mean, it looked like they were cutting out a growth um, or, yeah. Something like that, right? Did you pick sure. up on any details that gave you some clues? Not the first time. To, to be honest, I watched this twice just to make sure I had my feelings on it were uh, confirmed. But uh, the second time, I I feel like they do kind of hint at like some of what was going on here. But I mean, who pays also who pays attention during credits anyway? I almost watched it twice as well. It's not oh. unlike the credits of Inside. Um, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's like where, where I realized. I think when we talked about that movie, that like you could actually catch plot points potentially in the credits. <laughs> it only took you about 175 episodes. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, maybe I should be paying attention and not use this as a break. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I see what you're doing here. <laughs> Stuff going on behind the words. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> All right, so uh, after the credits, we jump to present day, and immediately we're introduced to our main character, Madison. She's pregnant. She comes home from work as a nurse. Uh, an argument escalates between her and her partner, and he ends up bashing her head against the wall, and we all uh, see immediately like she's bleeding from the back of her head. She locks him out of the room. That night, while he's sleeping downstairs, he gets attacked by this assailant uh, that kind of is like this long-haired uh, goofy looking thing um, Madison wakes up and wanders downstairs sees his, uh, his dead body and this uh, kind of monster that rises up behind him uh, and then that assailant kind of chases her back into her room where she's knocked out uh, what do you think of this like opening attack scene you sounded like a father commenting on his daughter's hippie boyfriend <laughs> long haired goofy looking thing yeah, this layered goofy thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually liked this scene. I thought it was getting back to what I'd expect from James Wan. There were some suspenseful moments. The camera work was really well done, and I can't remember if it's here already, but you get a lot of like super vertical shots, like an aerial view of the house that's like above the ceiling, which mm-hmm. or like a view of the rooms that you're in. That's as if there's no ceiling and you're above the ceiling. So Oh yeah. I thought that was really cool and I, I dug the cinematography in this scene. I was more on board for this scene. I agree. I think this is where you get some of that typical James Wan type of camera work. Uh cool like uh probably a lot of like dollies going on here and like uh, a lot of like twirling around the character like getting that 360 view. Um you liked like the blender and like when he opens the fridge it's like a really bright light uh oozing out of there. Yeah, that, I did. I, I liked all that. Yeah, a lot of cool. dollies, jibs, cranes, maybe even. Sure. Some some good camera work. Yeah, good camera work. And I also loved uh, how when she comes downstairs, how uh, the this monster or whatever, this attacker, kind of like rises behind his body, like out of the darkness of the shadow. So I, I, I thought it was a really cool visualization of like the, the attacker of the monster. Agreed. And speaking of camera work, um, Michael Burgess was the director of photography, and he also photographed The Curse of La Llorona, Annabelle Comes Home, and The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I think we've talked in the past about how some of these, a lot of these Conjuring movies have the same feel, even though he's only a producer, and uh, 
not the director on them. And I think part of that could probably be chalked up to some consistencies in the cinematographers as well. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like that's very uh, signature to these films. Yeah. Uh, so then I think the movie kind of like dives into kind of a, a heavy feeling here. Like we s- spend some time with Madison while she's recovering in the hospital. She learns that she's lost her baby and that this isn't like her first miscarriage. She's had a number of them. We also meet her sister and it's revealed that Madison was adopted and that they're not like, you know, biologically blood relatives or whatever. And so Madison's always kind of wanting to have that blood relative. We also meet these detectives who are just like insanely over the top, like uh, well dressed. Um, was that <laughs> here? We go on the clothes again. <laughs> yeah, come on, in, grab my beer and listen up. All right. Yeah, wait. Did that did that strike you as odd? Like off the bat, like who dresses that well on the job? Uh, you dress for the job that you want, not the job uh, you have. What job do they want? Like to be like GQ models or something? Like the, it was just <laughs> insane. And, and 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 this guy, like he was just like so handsome, wasn't he? They're just like trying to like bend into the press photos and the crime scene photos, <laughs> like getting some PR. Check <laughs> this out. Yeah, uh, I yeah. did not notice their dress, but that is a, a common theme. It's becoming a common theme in the show is that you notice what people are wearing, and I do not. Dude, they 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 looked incredible. Like I'd, I'd go back and watch this just to look at their outfits because I'm definitely like putting a uh, what do you call that? What's that app that lets you like create a wall? Is it Pinterest? Uh, yeah, a Pinterest board. Is that still yeah, a thing? Yeah, creating a Pinterest board of how this detective was dressed. Um, yeah, it's chuggy. You would admit he was a... Oh, yeah, it is really chuggy. You'd admit they were like... A, he was a really good-looking guy, right? Uh, sure, he's a handsome man. Yeah, yep. Un, like, unbelievably handsome, potentially? No, I wouldn't say unbelievably so. Oh, so you'd, you'd say believably handsome? <laughs> if I ever met him in person, I'd say, sir, you are believably handsome. Okay. I believe how handsome. What you're wearing is not registering in my brain. Goodbye. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, sorry. Going back to that first uh, kill scene, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, the whole dialogue between uh, Madison and her partner, whose name I forget, uh, did that come across as over the top to you as well? Um... I don't remember. I don't remember ever thinking there was a moment where the dialogue was particularly good in this movie, I'll say that, but I, that didn't stand out to me as a prime example of poor dialogue. Okay, so when he's like, maybe you need to stop being pregnant, um, how many times do I have to watch my children die inside of you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was pretty pretty bad. A lot of this stuff is just kind of like crude subject matter, not really handled very tactfully. Yeah, yeah. Not that it I demand that of this type of movie, but it it was just weird. This Yeah. There's a lot of this movie where I'm just like do you see what the movie that you are? Like I I right. don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 yeah, it doesn't hit right. Something feels pretty off here. It lacks like a certain self-knowledge. Yeah, right. Or why well, I I I feel like or you can't it transcends like- that and has like incredible self-awareness exactly. i don't know <laughs> i don't it's, fucking know it's one of the two and it's hard to figure out which one yes <laughs> um so madison comes home and a few nights later she thinks she sees a shadow outside and she tries to lock all her doors and i think this is the part where we get that scene you talk about where she's like running around inside the house and uh it's like the ceilings cut out and uh, that, that's like a pretty cool shot right yes it really is but wait a minute let's back up again <laughs> okay when madison reveals that she is adopted Mm-hmm. Sydney's eyes bulge out of her head, and we get a transition to to another scene, and 
music starts playing mm-hmm. and it is a cover sorry i'm burpy of <laughs> where is my mind was it a cover of Where's My Mind? I, I could it, never tell. Like it sounded exactly like it, but I couldn't tell if like it was a cover or not. Yeah, that's uh, that. There's some chatter in the Discord about that. I think people were unsure if that really was it or not. But it's credit. It's in the credits. It's it's a cover of Where's My Mind. Ah, okay. okay. Um, they play it like three times yeah. throughout the movie. They always just bring it in really strange, <laughs> abruptly <laughs> at a weird volume, and they play it for like six seconds, and it drops out. Yeah, yeah. Like every musical cue in this movie sucked. Sucked. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> I don't know if you're trying to be deliberately bad or like hammy or over the top. Why? This isn't the type of mistake you make. Right, like, right. There's just enough mistakes in this movie that are like, no, that's just straight up poor filmmaking. I think. Or, or are they trying to be like over the top cheesy and like bring in this like epic music and like something that isn't like, oh, yeah, necessarily like this epic. But. But then also, like, this isn't a great cover, is it? No, it's not. And nobody can ever cover it again now. It's ruined. Yeah. They really ruined Where's My Mind <laughs> by the Pixies. <laughs> that was the biggest loss of this film. Right? <laughs> Nobody's safe. Yeah, I know. That was, that was a bummer. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. That, that, that was a really weird cueing of, of that uh, music. And there are, like, so many other times in this movie where that's brought in and it just, like, feels like kind of out of nowhere and, like, off-tone with what's happening. Right, yeah, even with other other music throughout. Yeah. The score is fine to me. I thought the score was good, but every musical cue was befuddlingly bad. The score doesn't feel like 90s Nine Inch Nails to you? Like just like really old school, like kind of glitchy techno wannabe kind of thing? Um, hmm, I don't know. I really liked that type of music in the 90s, so that didn't stick out to me. Maybe oh, I was just okay. like, all right, cool. Cool. I'm playing Twisted Metal 2 in my bedroom again. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Life is good again. (laughs) That sounds good. Go downstairs and get a Coke. Yeah. (laughs) Download some porn later. (laughs) (laughs) It'll it'll take an hour, but it'll be worth it. One photo. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Denise Richards, here we come. (laughs) Uh, All right, so um, Madison starts having these hallucinations where she's in her body uh, she can't move and she's seeing this monster like thing killing people and it turns out that these are happening in real life and first it kills Dr. Weaver from the beginning then it kills one of the other doctors that we saw in the beginning and one of the other things we start to observe is it moves like in really like jaunty kind of ways is it jaunty is that how you describe it (laughs) sure I think that's fair Uh, and it's got kind of like describe it yeah, and it's kind of like this red, kind of like bleeding face. Uh, so, what did you think of these attack scenes and like the visual of the monster and like how it was moving and stuff? Were, were you into this? Um, I wasn't necessarily into the visual of the monster, but I thought some of the attack scenes were pretty brutal, so I was down with that. Yeah, like some of the stabbing motions going on, like the blood like flying everywhere. Yeah, uh, it was kind of, kind of cool to see and. Yeah, you know, I don't know if they're using CGI here or whatever, but uh, I thought it it gave like the monster kind of like a cool appearance, just like how strong it was and like how it would like move around in like really weird ways, which maybe is also like a James Wan or maybe like kind of a J horror kind of throwback too. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of CGI in this film. Um, there's also some practical effects and some a couple of contortionists, which we'll talk more about later. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, so Madison suspects that she knows who this killer is, and with the help of a hypnotherapist, 
She remembers that as a child, she had this imaginary friend named Gabriel who would always kind of take over her mind and do these evil things like um, ruin a birthday cake and potentially try to stab a pregnant woman in the stomach. Um, But this all stopped once her sister was born. So she thinks Gabriel is back and is doing these killings. And I actually think we get one of the funniest scenes in the film here. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Uh, No, I don't. Oh, like the zoom in on uh, the detective where she's like, so you think the person behind all these murders is your imaginary friend? And like, just like the dramatic zoom into her face while like that's dawning upon her. Do do you remember that scene? (laughs) No, but that sounds about right. Yeah, I actually laughed out loud here. I feel like the comedy actually like hit really well here, but uh, you, you didn't get any LOLs here? I got some LOLs throughout the movie, but that one particularly didn't strike me. Okay. I remember like them finding some files, the police, and that woman was like, you're going to go through all of them? To the cop dude, and he's like, we're going to go through all of them, and gives her like a stupid smile. <laughs> and I was uh-huh. just like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Like, they should have given each other a high five after that. It was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're lolling at how bad it was? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, so, yeah, things kind of turn bad for Madison when suddenly her roof, uh, or her ceiling breaks open and this woman who's been kidnapped earlier in the film kind of falls into the living room and the cops realize, like, oh, you've had this woman like tied up in your uh, attic this whole time. And she broke so, through two floors. Yeah. Is that unrealistic or something? Yeah, I mean, she fell from a height of maybe like three feet onto the floor. Yeah. And I mean, I could understand falling through an attic that did not have floor. Like there's those attics that are just like the joists or whatever you call them are what you can step on and the rest is just open insulation to the plaster ceiling below. Sure. But that was not the type of attic it was. It shows she fell through that floor and then the floor below that. Like, <laughs> that is not a well-built house. <laughs> he found the structural integrity of the house. That's a big issue. <laughs> yeah. It's a questionable plot point. Very questionable. Yeah. 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 She comes to two floors. That's a good point. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Uh, but I don't know. This is like an old Seattle house. And like, we've, I feel like throughout the film, we're getting a lot of shots of like the house from the outside. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you. Two floors is a little plausible. Yeah. It's not very plausible. Yeah. I mean, maybe the attic if it was the type of attic I spoke of before, but then you'd hit that next floor and you would smack it hard. Yeah, sure. And that's where it that stops. That is solid wood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so, so uh, after finding that woman there, um, they they arrest Madison, take her to the prison, um, but while she's being held there, her sister is off on the scavenger hunt and you know realizes that Madison, as a young child, was held in this experimental lab institutional thing which is what we saw in the beginning. So she goes there and is uncovering all these tapes and documents. And they watch like a series of videos and they discover that Madison was actually born with this conjoined twin slash parasite slash tumor attached to her that was named Gabriel and it had its own personality and it was kind of feeding off of Madison. So the doctors back in the day uh, tried to remove it, but because it was attached to her brain, had to put its brain back inside of Madison's head. Is that how you would explain it? I think they got most of it off, but the the rest that they couldn't get, they had to like tuck it back into her skull and, and sew her up. Ah, okay. Do a good old-fashioned tucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they, they jammed that back in there, and 
while they're kind of like showing this discovery, we see at the jail Madison, who's like in the middle of getting beaten up by some crazy jail characters. Which did you find <laughs> these jail people really in? Like, was this an odd group of people hanging out in a jail? That was like the most stereotypical collection of woman <laughs> prisoners. <laughs> I mean, you don't think this is like an accurate representation? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like offense and offensive representation. Like it was so bad, and I just—it's one of those things where it wasn't quite over the top enough to know that, like, hey, we know we've stocked this jail cell with like butch stereotypical lady <laughs> criminals, <laughs> and and we're gonna like wink to the audience, but it was yeah. just like it just seemed like that's who they thought should be in the jail cell and they thought they should beat her up for no reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's pretty juvenile, I guess, in, in terms of uh, the thinking here. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and there's no obvious wink, wink. So, yeah, you have these very stereotypical characters who, like, start beating up Madison. Uh, and we've just discovered that Madison, uh, Madison's parasitic twin was buried inside of her head. And so there's a scene here where Madison basically like freaks out and opens the back of her skull and Gabriel's like monstrous head kind of pops out and just like breaks loose and starts killing everyone in the jail and then in the uh, police station. So I think this is where like the third act kicks in and we get our big twist and, you know, a crazy kind of uh, takedown scene. Was this crazy enough for you or what were your thoughts at this point? At this point, I was just full out laughing out loud and it was crazy enough this thing, Gabriel is using Madison's body backwards to do all these murders. So it's just right. moving around the jail cell and the police department like a ninja and doing it all backwards and just like an assassin going through this. And this is where yeah. it just becomes so over the top and outlandish and looks simultaneously incredible and stupid that I was just floored. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he thought it looked really stupid, like in terms of like this person as a backwards body is like killing everyone. Yeah, like it just it, my note is this looks cool, hilarious, and stupid all at the same time. Yeah, sure. And that it- was, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some CGI there, but it sounds like a good chunk of it was contortionists Marina Mazeppa and twisty Troy James. Troy James, we talked about in our Anything for Jackson episode. Remember him? Oh, yeah. He's also in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and the Void. He's like a go-to creepy contortionist guy if you need him for a horror movie. And so he was in this? He was, but I think most of what you see in the jail and the police office is Marina Mazeppa wearing an Annabelle Wallace mask on her face and like doing stuff backwards. Wow. So she really was doing that stuff backwards. That's pretty incredible, I actually. will guess there's an assist from CGI here and there, but... Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. That's impressive. It yeah, is I impressive. Mean, yeah. The, the This whole, like, fight scene is is, is pretty wild, crazy, and uh, I, I don't know, I, you haven't seen Aquaman or, like, any of his action films, right? I have not, no. Or Fury okay. 7. Yeah, Fury 7. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like it kind of uh, brings some of those films. Because, uh, yeah, I just kind of feel like he's going down the action route, and this is kind of like his way of bringing it into a horror film. So was, I, I feel like it was a, a great action sequence. And, yeah, just like so over the top based on like the film so far and like where we've been. Did it ever? Did you ever wonder if they like share a brain and they establish that like they can 
see things the other can see, why it wouldn't be able to move forwards <laughs> if it's oh. hijacking her body? <laughs> why wouldn't it just hijack her eyes to see and move forward? Yeah, yeah. Well, why would it have to? Because it, it was like so strong from the back end that like it, it it wasn't like it was like handicapped at all, right? I mean, it was like it like the strength that it had and everything, and the way it was like able to hop around and stuff. Um, it doesn't seem like it was like doing it any uh, disservice by being backwards, did it? That's fair. I guess <laughs> I guess not, Ex- and I guess you could argue that it doesn't do the movie a disservice either. Yeah, but why but is maybe- it a ninja that can talk over the radio? Oh yeah, that part is kind of crazy, right? I think it has to do with how many times they electroshocked it. Because uh, in one of the flashbacks, they show like the doctors like trying to like subdue it and and uh, oh, yeah, putting, and like, like probably the... some radiation and stuff. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Did, did this question come to the top of mind? Like, what's the bathroom situation here? <laughs> did, you thought it right? No, I never thought that. Like, here's a villain who walks, like, butt forward. You're not thinking about, like, what's it doing, like, when it has to go to the bathroom? Yeah, maybe every once in a while a, like, stand-up urine stream just comes out of Madison's butt. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the opposite, where it's, like, stand-up shitting, I guess, <laughs> which uh, would be a mess, but yeah. I don't know. E- yeah. Either way, things are getting messy with Madison in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not a great bathroom. Uh, but, I mean, the thing's there. a contortionist, so it, I'm sure it finds a way to manage. Yeah. Uh, we also, I think, get, like, the most effects here in terms of, like, the reveal when she's, like, pulling her face apart and the monster coming out and what we see on the videotapes. How did you feel about, like, what, what you saw here with the monster and, like, it's a, how it comes out and everything? I thought that it looks good. Like, in the old videotapes, when you see the creature, like, on the back of her head, mm-hmm. I thought it actually looked pretty good in terms of effects. Yeah. Um, but I also thought it was kind of dumb. You also thought it was kind of dumb. Like, conceptually? Yeah. yeah, conceptually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I think it was... I don't know. I think the effects were done well, but the design was a little ridiculous. Hmm, interesting, yeah. I, I'm having a hard time describing how I feel about some of the stuff in this movie. Because I me? don't know if I even know. That's why I was tempted to watch it a second time, too. Yeah, me too. I was just, like, really confused. Like, do I like this? Or uh, is this, like, terrible? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard to come to like a, a clear decision here. But I, I actually, I, I, th- I think the monster look and like the the twin and everything. Like I thought it looks pretty cool, and I love the way it kind of came out of the back of her head. I thought that was a great like scene that like the movie was building up to. All right, cool. I was, I was on board for it. Um, so yeah, having taking out yeah after she's killed like thirty people here like in in this police station because somehow Gabriel has like been training all these years and like. Uh, I, I don't know, been like, yeah, ninja or some, some kind of like crazy skills. Um, <laughs> and super strong. Yeah, and, and like crazy strong, right, exactly. Um, Gabriel, who's still in control of Madison's body, goes to this hospital where the woman who we saw fall from the ceiling was actually Madison and Gabriel's biological mother. Uh, so she's in the hospital. Gabriel goes there to kill her, and Madison's sister comes up, tries to intervene, but Gabriel uh, tries to kill her instead. But finally, at this point, Madison somehow is able to take over her body and her mind and put Gabriel in this like metaphorical but also literal like prison and uh, basically take back control of her body and her mind and ends up you know, saving her sister and her biological mother. And then the movie ends with the sisters hugging 
the biological mother kind of just like smiling awkwardly from the bed and a buzz of lights, like the, the light uh, kind of buzzing because as you mentioned earlier, Gabriel does have like this electrical power. So kind of hinting that maybe he's still around. Uh, yeah. What did you think of the ending? I thought it was pretty silly. And also as she saves her sister to lift something off of her, she says it was always my body. If he was strong enough to do this, then so am I. Yeah. So I guess she has super strength now too for some reason and lifts the super <laughs> heavy thing off of her sister Yeah. to save the day. Yeah, the strength was always inside of her. <laughs> I did not like the immediate ending, but I did enjoy just how bonkers this third act was. Yeah, yeah I think everything up until the hospital room uh, was a lot of fun. But yeah, the, the whole like drama that unfolds in the hospital room and like the fake like bars and like the battle inside of her head, uh, I thought that was kind of cheesy, right? Yeah, and there's also like a moment here where she makes Gabriel see a different reality where he actually succeeds in killing the mom and sister. Right. And the mom says to him, like, I should have never given you up. I should have loved you no matter what. Right, right. So you get some of these like, yeah, heavy lines. And I don't know, like, is there a theme here around like motherhood or uh, female empowerment or anything like that? I don't know, man. I, I'm struggling with that. Um, Taking back control a of her mind and body. Yeah, there was a good discussion on our Discord about it. I think mm -hmm. Big Turkey brought up that point that he thought it was kind of like a, you know, a woman empowerment type thing. Um, yeah. Like, because she's, she's coming, her mother was raped, we find out. Um, and oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, and has the baby at like 14 or something crazy. Um, and then we learn her... You know, Madison's boyfriend is abusive, and Gabriel is also like a male figure who's abusing her and taking over her life and her mind. And then at the end, she she takes power back. Um, right. And then um, Kelsey and Macabre Goblin were getting in there too, and they had a lot of good points where like one of them agreed, and Macabre Goblin was like, "No, like that can't be the theme. It's too muddled." Um, yeah, and it was so steeped in motherhood that it doesn't quite make sense. And I also, like, every once in a while with Juan's work, I wonder if there are conservative themes, too. Like, oh, he's, like, um, feeding off of her fetuses. Like, so he's kind of, like, aborting her kids. And I don't know. I, I, I'd be grasping at straws if I tried to piece that all together. But yeah. I think you're right. I, I think it is kind of muddled and fragmented. And yeah, you can dig in there and like find like little hints of things. But yeah, something makes me think James Wan maybe might not be like that's probably not his intent. Otherwise, maybe he would have made it a little clearer. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It just feels like he's got blinders on for some of this stuff. He either yeah. knows like so precisely what he's doing that it's damn impressive or he's just... I don't know, man. It, it's just so strange. Yeah. I'm in awe of it. This is this sits right alongside Army of the Dead as the two most befuddling movies of 2021. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah. Uh yeah, wait like yeah, what are, what are your thoughts overall? Like I I mean, I I feel you like this this was a very disorienting and confusing movie, but like where where did you land? Like what what did you like? Not like I really liked the third act. I mean, I just thought it was so ridiculous and kind of impressive in a lot of ways that it was entertaining. There's no way you can say the third act of this movie is not entertaining. Yeah. 
So I appreciated that. I thought the cinematography throughout was good. And there were some cool suspenseful scenes, especially in Madison's house, that I enjoyed and that reminded me of what I like about Juan in general. Mm -hmm. I think almost everything else about the movie was bad. I (laughs) didn't think the acting was good. I thought the dialogue was really bad. Uh, The editing, the musical, like the soundtrack, all bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But it got to a point where this movie became like it's so bad it's good oh it got there for you yes yeah like i was just in awe of what i was seeing and i couldn't help but be totally engaged and interested and just confused by it like there are certain Mm -hmm. moments towards like in the second act it got kind of slow and i was like i don't care about these characters but there was enough weird shit in here that it was constantly like firing synapses in my brain of like, what? Like, why was mm-hmm. that on purpose? Was it bad? Like, but w- once you get to the prison scene, it becomes over the top to the point where it's, I still don't know if it's on purpose or not, but to me, it's so bad. It's good. But sure. what did so you think? So you were in it like for the uh, ride, like it like pulled you in successfully. Yeah, by the end, it was like, okay, I wish I had a big bag of popcorn, and, and now I'm on board, just mostly to laugh at it. But I never really cared what happened or was invested in the characters. Sure, sure. Although I did think that Madison uh, Hassan, who plays Sydney, was the strongest actor in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed her. She was good. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I agree with you. Third act is obviously where this film succeeds. Uh, cinematography was good. Acting, yeah, pretty terrible. Dialogue, pretty cheesy and stuff and I get it like they were trying to I mean I assume like they were trying to be pretty bad to like kind of uh, be funny but a lot of times I don't feel like they were bad enough where it was funny and it was just like bad where it was kind of embarrassing and awkward um, so I, yeah that, that, that part kind of missed for me on the cinematography though I noticed a lot of scenes had like this fog effect going on or like really like, kind of glossy lighting which really threw me off to, like the, the first and second act of this movie felt like a lifetime movie or like some kind of like dramatic soap opera and so I found myself like pretty bored up front and then yeah when the third act kicks in like it pulls you in and like you're like holy shit this is great but I'm not sure if it was enough to make like the whole movie like fun for me um did, did, did you feel like a, a slowness, especially with like how much of this movie was like them finding videotapes or like clips and like doing like this investigative like kind of hunt? Uh, did, did that that didn't like kind of like slow down the pacing for you or bore you? No, it did. And it did bore me. I think the first act and the third act were my favorite because the first act I was just like taking it all in and like thoroughly confused and in awe of of it all. And then by the mm-hmm. second act, yeah, I was a little bit bored. The plot was moving, but I didn't care about any of the characters or what was happening. Right. And then the third act was just so bonkers that I was back in the mix. Yeah. And do you feel like the third act was like bonkers enough to like make it a, a fun and good film? I think so for me. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. But it also just put a lot of questions in my head. Like, how is this uh, person, like, such like an amazing fighter? Like, how, how are they taking down, like, so many people? Like, uh, I, I don't know, you don't feel like that was, like, a big plot hole? I think that that was part of the so bad it's good because it makes no sense. <laughs> like, it's just there's so much in it that makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot, <laughs> a lot of question marks that pop up here. <laughs> Um, yeah, so acting, we talked about that, music, you weren't into that. Uh, overall, like the effects and visuals, uh, how, how'd you feel about it? 
I thought the visuals were pretty good. There were some times where I felt like it was kind of CGI heavy, but then reading up on it, it sounds like maybe it wasn't. And mm-hmm. honestly, in 4K, like this being the first movie I watched in 4K pretty much, the first hor- modern horror movie, things look so crisp that sometimes th- I thought it was animated and it was just that's how good it looks. Oh, um, sure, sure. But I think visually it looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed uh, the, the cinematography and, uh, I, yeah, I mean, the fight scenes almost looked cartoonish, but if some of it was contortionism, then that's pretty damn impressive. That is really cool. Yeah, I, I can't believe that. That's wild. It was, it was some really interesting settings with, uh, like, all the shots of the city, like, randomly they would throw in of Seattle, and then, like, even the police station I thought was, like, a really weird, interesting, uh, like, random kind of setting, almost like something out of, like, a, a crime drama or something. Uh, th- that didn't, like, throw you off at all? Um, yeah, it kind of did. And, I mean, I think that might be part of his nod to, like, 80s and 90s, like, De Palma movies and Argento. Sure, um, sure. He cited David Cronenberg as well. Oh, okay. Or no, maybe he didn't cite that, but uh, Meg Navarro in her review of it for Bloody Disgusting said, uh, her quote was, Malignant embraces every bit of zaniness found in the late 80s and early 90s thrillers, including the more out-there efforts of David Cronenberg, Brian De Palma, and Dario Argento. Ah, okay, okay. So, so yeah, and then she says, those unfamiliar with the tropes of this era may have a more difficult time connecting with what Juan is attempting. Yeah. And so that's what is even more confusing is some people who are like really entrenched in the horror movie genre, like esteemed critics are like, seem to get it, right? Right. I don't get it. (laughs) You don't, okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's how I feel too. Like, I mean, if this was like an obvious nod to some of that, uh, I think I would get it more, but yeah, I kind of felt like this was something pretty unique that like a a mix of like genres or tones or atmospheres that I, I wasn't used to historically. Right. Um, do you want to get to your, mention your point that you I made you skip in the background section about what this was based on? Oh, loosely. sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this is based on an urban legend of a character named uh, Edward Mordake. Is that right? Mordrake. Oh, Mordrake. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is, I don't think there's any scientific proof, but at some point it was rumored that this uh, patient had like a, a body sticking out of their back that uh, kind of resembled what uh, was happening in this movie. Did, is, that, is that what you found too? Yeah, yeah. I, although it, in hearing Ingrid Bisu's quotes about it, it sounded like she said Edward Mordrake is a historical subject, but really it is truly a, an urban legend. Sure. Yeah, there hasn't been like definitive proof that he actually existed. Yeah. No. No. And and in fact, if you like look at the origin of it, it's it's pretty pretty weak. But her quote is. Edward Mordrake is a historical subject. I found drawings and stories about how he had a smaller head in the back of his head. This head would torture him or give him horrible thoughts and ideas. It whispered horrible things to him. Unfortunately, he did end up taking his own life. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where she got the idea for the story. It's it's a cool concept. I, I love that concept. Uh, it's pr- pretty original, right? Like, I, I can't think of another movie that uh, has, like, a similar premise. It is pretty original, but, like, man... My thought is, this seems like something, like, if I was writing a movie, I'd get, like, pretty into it and, like, write half the screenplay with, like, a ton of, like, enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and then just be like, what the fuck am I doing? I can't do this. (laughs) Like, (laughs) crumple it up and throw it out. Like, it's just so over the top and such a ridiculous 
Like it's a cool idea, but to execute on it effectively, yeah, yeah. you and have to manage the tone better to really sure. nail this one out of the park. And it's like build a whole plot like around like that concept. Yes. It's, yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that's true. So you're, you're I, saying like that's a, a feat in itself that they did this, or are you saying that like they didn't do that? I'm saying they didn't do that. So <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth with this movie. I don't think they did what they could have done if they were trying to make this tongue-in-cheek. If they were trying to make it serious, I don't think what they could have done. They did what mm. they could have done. So, like, instead of getting a bit of a, like, cheeky spoof that's kind of winking at the audience, I think what you really get is a $40 million so bad it's good movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which most movies that we think about when you think of like So Bad It's Good are like micro budget, like a troll too. Sure, sure. So that's a pretty expensive So Bad That It's Good then. Exactly. Which I kind of think of as a bit of a failure. But again, then there's that thing in the back of my mind that's like maybe everyone gets something that I don't get and James Wan knew exactly what he was doing. But to me, uh, that's not what happened. I feel like most movies we watch that are fall into that category of so bad that it's good, really like kind of acknowledge that and like take it on and go like extreme throughout. Um, and it, there's like no question in your mind. This is like the first time where I felt like I was questioning like how serious the filmmakers were. And I, I feel like it, that whole premise kind of fails then if it's like going for the so bad that it's good. If you have an audience that's questioning if that's what you're going for, then you're probably not hitting that very well, right? Right. Unless like that's what you wanted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This kind of like speculation around it, which I, uh, that's such a strange territory to be in. Right, and then we get to the Army of the Dead thing too, where it's like there's so much stuff in there that's like obvious filmmaking 101 that wasn't executed. Mm-hmm. It's like how could this experienced of a filmmaker, right, with mega hits, do something like that? How could you right. make this Where Is My Mind cover? appear <laughs> randomly on the in the soundscape for about six seconds each time and awkwardly yeah. drop in and out like yeah <laughs> how could you how could you sign your name on that final cut of the movie with that transition in it like right what am i not seeing what am i not getting it, it's befuddling i've said right. that word it, many times but befuddling is the best way i can describe my it reaction really is and it, it, I don't think it's possible. Like, so I, I got to think like James Wan was obviously into the joke here and trying to make like a statement and like be over the top, but maybe his brand of like humor, because I mean, this is so like unlike him compared to all of his other films, but maybe just on executing on that, he just wasn't able to do it successfully yeah. or something. Yeah, I guess. It's also like so trendy to cover where is my mind. So if you're trying to like harken back to this time of the 80s and 90s i I know that song is from the 90s but it's the wrong choice as Mm -hmm. a song it is (laughs) but have you heard like the 90s are back yeah yeah but like spoo like covering that song in dramatic exaggerated fashion is very right now it's not 90s you know what i mean no one was covering that song in the 90s unless you were like a dude at a coffee shop who was cooler than everyone else at the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. 
That's true. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a big misstep, and uh, I'm, I'm glad at least they gave that song credit because it, it sounded exactly like it, but then like a little bit enough where it's like, wait, do they know they're like riffing off the song or not? But y- you saw it in the credits. Yes, it is in the credits. Yeah, but unfortunately, yeah, I guess you're right. It is like forever ruined thanks to this. <laughs> I've seen it a lot in like covered in commercials and stuff like that lately, but yeah, nothing ruined it until this. Yeah, was it the the version or how they used it? Both. Yeah. <laughs> Although I need to hear more of the version because I've really only heard like the same heard six s- seconds played. Six seconds of it. Thrice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it gets a lot better after those six seconds. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey. Right. Anything else or do you want to jump to our uh, review of it? Let's I'm, jump I'm, to the rating. Yeah, I, I'm really curious uh, where you stand on this one because I, I feel like you've uh, argued for both sides here. So how many uh, monsters popping out of the back of someone's head would you give this one? Well, I'm going to land almost right in the middle and give this three monsters popping out of the back of the head because it is so out there and off the wall that I can't say I didn't enjoy the experience. Like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, I wish I had my time back. I hated it. I wish I hadn't watched it, which would have been like one or two territory. And I cannot say this was average because this was not an average movie. (laughs) I cannot go any higher than three, but I do want to express that I... I enjoyed the experience of being utterly confused, and I laughed out loud at many of the scenes. Uh, so I, I have to give it a three. What about you? That's great, man. That's a lot more than I expected you to give it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like, uh, I actually had a great time watching this, uh, but I thought like the first part or two, or the second act, definitely dragged and stuff. And it was a unique and interesting story. But at the end of the day, I, I think I only ended up at uh, two and a half uh, monsters popping out of the back of the head just because, uh, yeah, I, I didn't feel like it was as smart as it could have been. And if, you know, I think as we talked about, if he was going for comedy, I think he should have made it a little bit more clear versus like being in this kind of gray area where you have this great last act, but the first like uh, two acts just feel like very like confused from a tonal perspective. Right. And there's some there's some scenes that just kind of feel ultra serious. Yeah. Right, right. And Dude, I understand how- that was the style of those like Jalos and and De Palma films he was riffing on, but yeah, uh, there was I just there weren't enough moments of the film where we knew that as a right. viewer. I mean, maybe exactly. maybe in five years when you and I have more Jalo under our belts, we can come back to this and appreciate it more. But for the right. movie fan I am right now, I, I I can't say I got it. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. And uh, d- you weren't impressed with Annabelle's acting, right? No, I wasn't. Some people are talking that up, but I I, I didn't think it was good, but I don't know what she was directed to do. I, I have no idea what that performance should have looked like. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I can't tell how much of it was the dialogue or the directing, but it was crazy. And there were like a few scenes where like she would just like scream, and it, like the camera like kind of like spin around her, and like the scream would get all reverby and just uh, not not great. Yeah. Cuts. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love the cinematography, there were some things visually that were just kind of annoying and obnoxious. Right. Like right, it did yeah. seem like there were way too many like establishing shots and shots of the city and outside settings and stuff oh like that. Oh my god, yeah. Like, why so many? Yeah. And if you go back and watch it like the, the the amount of fog they use in like every scene it becomes very It almost like the, it's like they're trying to make it look like Gotham City or something at certain points, but it yeah. just doesn't work. Hmm. It's crazy. Wacky. Yeah. Anything else uh, you want to say about it? That's all I got. I'm still confused. Maybe we'll watch it again someday. Yeah, watch it again. Let me know because I I think I liked it more on the first watch, and then it kind of like went down on the second. Oh, I could. I could. 
I could see it going either way. I could see myself appreciating it more. Although, if you were to watch it again with like a group of people to laugh at it, everyone mm. would probably just drift off into conversation around the second act. Yeah, that'd probably help. Yeah. <laughs> probably best watching a crowd. All right. Uh, that's it for our discussion on Malignant. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show. And we always appreciate your feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We also have a Discord server where we're chatting up with uh, a few other listeners and horror fans, and you can find that link on our website. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so you can check her out on Etsy.com and you'll find some other merchandise for our show. Until next time, uh, if you find yourself sleepwalking backwards at night, make sure you use the bathroom before going to bed, otherwise you might wake up to a mess. <laughs> Where that mess will be, we don't know. Could be the yeah, front, could be the back. <laughs> yeah.